Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And welcome to First Presbyterian Church today on this, can you believe it, it's the last Sunday of January. We're a full month into 2024. Where, where did it go? Wasn't Christmas just yesterday, I think? Let me ask you this. How many of you are, are having trouble believing we're at the end of the first month of 2024? How many of you are still writing 2023 on documents and things like that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little bit strange. Let me, let me ask you this. Um, how many feel like, you know, we're only four weeks into the year and you're already behind? I mean, somewhere, I, I don't know, somewhere you got distracted along the way or something like that. Um, how, many of you have, how many of you have already had some ups and downs in the year so far? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy that it happens this quickly, isn't it? Usually, oh, well, nothing bad's going to happen until February or March, right? No, no, it's already, it's not necessarily that it's bad, it's just distracting. And, and for that matter, how many of you all have been distracted from your New Year's resolutions yet? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on that. That's okay. Yeah, but, but isn't it interesting? Re- resolution, as Harvey was saying, resolution means to promise, to resolve, to set your mind towards something. What's the enemy of the resolution? The distraction. And how many of us have already had distractions in the beginning of the year and we're already off our resolution schedule? I mean, it's hard to believe that it's already happened. But we all, we all understand what that means. We are, we are busy. We are distracted. We... And then things happen that are good, things happen that are challenging. And that's just where we are, even at this point in the year. Now, the reason I bring this up and the reason I want to make a, a point of this today is because today we're about to read a story in the, in the continuing story of Abram that really shows that even though, uh, even though he was called to a purpose and dedicated to a purpose, there were some things that initially seemed to, de- to derail the whole project, to distract him. And, and part of the reason I want to go over this story in this way is because as we study the story of Abraham, I want you not only to hear that Abram had a purpose, but that you have a purpose, that God has a purpose for you, a plan for your life. And even if you feel waylaid or distracted or turned to the side or you're in the middle of some ups and downs, that that will continue, but, but it's going to take a little bit of something on your part. And we'll get into that what, into what that is in just a second. So we're going to go ahead and turn to the 13th chapter of the book of Genesis. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we're going to read the whole chapter today. That's all right. Just get comfortable. Read along with me. But it's not one of those passages you can really just sort of excise a a talking point out of. We need to read this whole story. So chapter 13, verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him, into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where, he, where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we're kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right, or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. 
And Lot lifted his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was, so, was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise and walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Admiral William Stockdale was a naval aviator, and he was shot down and held as a prisoner of war in the country of Vietnam for eight years. He was the highest ranking officer in the infamous Hanoi Hilton. You can imagine that it was a dark time for Admiral Stockdale and for every other prisoner who was held, who was tortured, who was isolated, who was forced to live under the threat of death in that hellish place every day. But as he was enduring this crisis, one day, Admiral Stockdale looked up and he looked around and he saw the brokenness of his fellow prisoners. And he realized, just looking at their faces, just looking at their, their broken bodies and just feeling the weight of their broken spirits, Stockdale realized that if he and the other prisoners were going to survive this ordeal unbroken, then he was going to have to take some kind of leadership. He was going to have to give his fellow prisoners some way to see beyond the horror of the moment. He was going to have to give them some way to fight back. And so he worked out different ways for the POWs to communicate secretly with, with one another. He developed rules that would allow prisoners to give away certain types of, of useless information under torture so that they could sort of buy some relief from their tormentors. And it worked. Over the years, the morale of the prisoners in the, in the Hanoi Hilton improved such that more of them survived probably than would have otherwise. But when asked about it personally, when asked personally how, uh, how he had survived the ordeal of torture and imprisonment, Stockdale said this about himself. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story, I never doubted that I would get out, but I also never doubted that I will also prevail in the end and that I would turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. Consider that. He's talking about being a prisoner in the Hanoi Hilton. He would not trade that experience because of what God did through it. 
God gave William Stockdale a vision, a way to see past his imprisonment and see that it wasn't the end of the story. And the Lord helped him to see that in spite the brutality of his circumstances, God would use that moment to fashion the defining moments of his life. Now, Admiral Stockdale had an unwavering faith that he would survive in spite of the brutality of his captivity. And he shared that with all of his fellow prisoners. And all of us know that at some point, we're all going to have to deal with some brutal circumstances in our own lives. At some point, maybe that Maybe that's a job loss. Maybe it's a, a divorce or a, a breakup. Maybe it's a cancer or an addiction or the death of somebody that you love dearly. Maybe you fall deeply into debt or maybe you are just pulled apart by some kind of competition. Or maybe it's the death of somebody who is dear to you. And the question becomes, how are you going to deal with with that situation? How are you going to deal with that crisis? How do you keep faith? How do you keep hope alive when all of your plans seem to have crashed against the rocks? Now, so far in the story of Abram, we've read about triumphs and train wrecks. We were, we've been told first that Abram's been through several big unsettling events. First of all, he was called by God to leave his home, leave his family, travel 1,500 miles to a place he'd never been because God was going to do something important through him. And then he was told that he would be the father of a big family, of a great nation, thousands upon thousands of descendants. But how could that happen when you can't even have one baby? Because he was 75 and his, his wife was barren. How can you start a great nation if you can't even have one child? And he was also told that he would be given a land and that he would be prosperous and that he would bless all the nations of the earth. But when he got to the, when he got to the place that he'd been promised, what did he discover? We talked about this last week. They got there and they discovered there was a famine in the land. And he and his retinue had to actually quit the land of promise. They had to leave there and go, go south to Egypt to find food. And of course, you all heard last week what, he did, what happened there. His wife, Sarai, who was beautiful, caught the eye of the Pharaoh. And for a time, the, the Pharaoh of Egypt, the emperor of Egypt, took her into his harem. And now, today, we get to the point where it looks like maybe things are going to turn around. They're back in Canaan. They've returned to Canaan. And they're continuing to grow in wealth and stature in spite of all these ups and downs. But then... Something terrible happens. There's conflict within his family. Conflict between him and his nephew, Lot, which would lead to a split in the family. Here's the story. Their flocks, and I want you to really listen to this. Their flocks were getting so big, they were becoming so wealthy that the different factions in the family were at each other's throats. I mean, it reminds me, for those of you who remember, it reminds me of the old TV show Dallas. They had all the money in the world, but the Ewings still couldn't get along. You know, the Kardashians, name your famous family. You know, they've got so much money, and yet they're at each other's throats. You don't have to be mega wealthy for that to happen either. We've all seen it among friends. Maybe you've experienced it in your own family around somebody's death or something like that. The old country song, Who Gets the Family Bible? You come down to fighting even about that. They had so many sheep, they didn't have enough room to graze and not enough water. 
you know, there's an interesting alternative. They decided to separate. You know, you know what they could have done? They could have actually taken some of those sheep and blessed their neighbors that God had called them to do. But they didn't think that far. They were too focused on themselves. But the only thing worse than a church fight is a family fight. And Lot and Abram had to separate. And not only did they separate, I want you to look at the little hints that the Bible gives us about what Lot chose. Lot took his people to settle in the land near Sodom and Gomorrah. Obviously, he hadn't read the Bible because he didn't know how, how badly things were going to turn out for Sodom and Gomorrah. These are the two most wicked cities in the history of the earth. And he took his family right into the capital of corruption. He took a group of people, remember this, he took a group of people with too much money into literally the sin cities. I mean, what's going to happen? Too much money, excessive money, excessive temptation, bad combination. This is literally a, a reality show waiting to happen. And if you know the story of Lot, the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and what happens later, you know that these shepherds literally drove their sheep into the valley of the shadow of death, the Jordan Valley. Now, again, isn't that a story we've heard before? A family split by success, weighed down and divided by, by too much, too much wealth, too much status, too much notoriety, whatever it is. So much, so much so that it suffocates and it pollutes and it corrupts. This was Abraham's solution, or excuse me, his situation. I mean, even with everything God had given them, they just keep going up and down. And what's crazy is that even with all that, God kept giving him land. God kept taking care of the family. God, God kept giving him, increasing his wealth. But apparently, in spite of all that blessing, Abram seems to have hit the wall. And the ups and downs were heavy on those old shoulders. And Abram was supposed to bless the world and be a great nation. But, I mean, how could he do that if he couldn't even keep his own family together? And so, finally, the Lord noticed how downcast Abram was after Lot had separated from him. And he came to him and he said this, Abram, raise your eyes. And look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land you see, I will give you and your offspring forever. I mean, after that shameful debacle in Egypt, Abram's eyes are in the dirt. He's having one of those woe is me moments. And God says, would you just lift up your eyes for a second and look around at what I am doing? Look around at the span of everything that I have given to you. The first thing that God said to Abram was, look up and see my blessing. Raise up your eyes. The first step in following the mission of God is lifting our eyes and seeing how greatly we have been blessed. God tells Abram to lift his eyes. Because when we lift our eyes, we see three things. One, we're going to see how greatly we've been blessed. Again, Abram, said, uh, Abram had received herds and wealth and protection and grace. But that, that was just 
above his vision at the moment because of his trouble, because of all those distractions around his feet. So God says, I want you to look up and I want you to see not only your blessings, I want you to see the land around you. I want you to see the opportunities. You see, Abram, I did not just give you all these blessings. I didn't give you all those herds and all that great wealth for your benefit. I gave it so that you could be a blessing. The truth is that God wants all of us to use what he's given us, not for our purposes, but for his purposes. And you may think, well, you know what? I don't have a whole lot to give. Well, if you've got time or treasure, if you've got time or treasure or any kind of talent, God can use that. You may think, well, my my background, my 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 life story is not, you know, it, it doesn't lead me toward a direction of service. Well, you know what? No matter what you've done, no matter how broken or messed up your life is, you not only have time, treasure, and talents, you've got a testimony, you've got a story about the things that God can do in your life. So all of us have an opportunity to bless other people, but we have to look up and see, well, there's somebody who could use my story. There's somebody who could use my time. There's somebody who could use my gifts. There's somebody who can use my resources. But we have to look up and be willing to see that. But there's one other thing that we need to look up and see. We need to look up and we need to see that we're not just the receivers of blessing. We are being blessed by someone. We have to look up because when we look up, we'll not only see the blessings, we'll also see the blesser. And this is critical. My father's favorite word in the whole Bible, many of you have heard this by now, my father's favorite word in the whole Bible is the word behold. When the Bible says behold, the Lord is saying, guess what? Look up. Pay attention. See what God is doing. My dad always wanted people to understand that when we behold the Lord, if we will look up and see the Lord, then we'll not only see the Lord, we'll see that we are being held. As a matter of fact, my dad would say, whenever we behold God, we see that he beholding us. We are being held in that love. And if we look at this story, we see that the Lord held Abram and Sarai all the way, 1,500 miles on foot from Ur and Haran to Canaan. He had held them through the whole thing in Egypt. He held them through famine, and he held Sarai when she was a hostage in Pharaoh's harem. And if we look at our lives, behold how he's present with us every day. The God of all grace not only sees you, he's holding you in the palm of his hand, and he is the God who keeps his promises. It's not just about looking around. It's not just telling us to look up and see the blessings. He's telling us to look up and see the blesser. 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14 says this, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and listen to this, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I want you to think about that. We are always looking for God's hand of blessing. But what is he calling Solomon and all of us to? Not just to seek my hand, but to seek my what? My face. Look up and see the blesser, not just the blessing. 
Look up and see the blesser, not just the mission. All Lot could see were the burdens that came with wealth. Not the blessings, not the opportunity, and not the blesser. So what else did God tell Abram to do? Second, God said to Abram, rise up and walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. I love that. Don't just look at it. Get into it. If we rightly understand our relationship with God, we, then we must understand that the church is not a place where we come. The church is a people, that's all of us, who are sent. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given unto me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. An essential part of being a follower of Jesus Christ is going when Jesus says, go. Go out into all that that I've given you. Take the blessings I've given you and bless the nations. I think that one of the great misunderstandings of, of the Christian walk is the thought that obedience comes from faith. Actually, faith comes from obedience. Remember when Peter was in a boat and it was a raging sea and he saw Jesus out walking on the water and he wanted to be with Jesus so badly that he stepped out of the boat. Now remember, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't tell him, okay, first Peter, let me explain how this whole water walking thing works. He didn't say, let me describe to you surface tension and how my supernatural power makes that happen. No, he said, step out of the boat you want to be with me, step out of the boat. If you want to grow in faith, then you have to go in faith. What holds us back? What makes us feel like we can't go where God is sending us? The third thing that this story reminds us is that God tells Abram, that tells, excuse me, Scripture tells us that Abram moved his tent and he came and he settled by the oaks of Mamre. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, these, the mention of these oak trees may seem like a geographical, uh, a geographical detail, just a bit of biblical trivia. And we often read over this, this detail without much thought. But even this iota of information in God's Word is important. This was not an oak grove or a glade on a hill that was just pretty because it was a park. This was a pagan holy place. It was a place of idols, a place of unholy sacrifice, a place of worship offensive to God. It was a place profaned by pagan cults. But in that place, Abram did what? He built an altar to the one true God. Of this event, John Calvin wrote these words. He said, seeing that the land was full of profane altars on which the Canaanites and other nations polluted the worship of God, Abram publicly professed that he worshiped the true God. You know, when I read this passage about building an altar in a pagan land, I often think about the, the pictures of those Marines on Iwo Jima planting the flag or the, the firemen on the rubble of 9-11 in defiance saying, saying that we are still here. And the war after the World Trade, excuse me, after the uh, bombing on 9/11 at the World Trade Center, 
Where are we ready to plant our flags? Like Abram, where are you willing to build an altar? You see, that's what we're called to do. This story is a summons to God's mission. It's a mission to the neighborhood and the nations through local missions, through global missions, through church planting, just through your own personal witness in the neighborhood. Where are you willing to build your altar? I mean, how important is this mission? It's important because we are literally right now in a world, not just in war, but on the brink of war. We are in a world right now that is, that is filled with idols and distractions from God of every kind. We are in a city that is being overrun with human trafficking and drug addiction and poverty and mental illness. We are in a pagan holy place. And I'm not pointing my finger at any group in particular. We are in a place that is overrun with darkness. We're in a world at war. We live in a culture filled with idols. And it's a hard place to do ministry. But, you know, one of our mission partners, a venerable and leading global missions ministry called the Outreach Foundation, has an idea. They have a vision that drives them to be an outreach to the world. Their, their mission is that our job is to bear the truth, of, the truth of God and the love of Christ in hard places. Where do they spread the love of God and the truth of Jesus Christ? In places like Iraq, and China, Iran, and Syria, and Pakistan, and Ukraine, and Israel, Sudan, even down on the, on the border. Where are the hard places God is calling us? To plant his flag. Where are the hard places that God is calling us to build an altar? Maybe it's, maybe it's here in San Antonio. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's at your work. Maybe it's at your school. Maybe it's within your own family. Maybe it's just within a relationship. God is calling us to take the gospel into hard places to plant our flag, to build an altar, and to say, we believe in the living God. Why is he calling us to do that? He's calling us to do that because the world is not going to be changed by by soldiers. It's going to be changed by prayer warriors. It's not going to be changed by by drone strikes and battleships. It's going to be changed by, by Bibles and schools, and missions, and hospitals, and gospel truths, and and church plants, and missionaries. Because Jesus Christ can do what no political engine, or military machine, or economic program can do. It can change the heart and cause people to surrender to the Prince of Peace. And here's the point. God does not call the church to preserve itself by hiding its light under a bushel. Rather, he calls the church to stand in public and to build our altar to him in the hard places. God gave William Stockdale a vision, a way to see that his imprisonment was not the end of the story. And he gave Abram a vision as well. He said, lift up your eyes. Rise up 
and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Let's pray. Oh Lord, today we pray that you would that you would convict us. Convict us not simply to receive your blessings, but Lord, to, to understand that we have been blessed to be a blessing. We ask you to raise up our eyes to see the blessings that you have to share and that we have to share with the needs around us. We ask that you would give us the power to rise up and walk out into the mission field that you have prepared for us and go there and build an altar to your name right in the hard places that, where you are not welcomed. And we pray, O oh God, that you would help us to remember that you have called us to claim the world for your Son and to plant an altar in the sight of all men so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, help us to raise up our eyes from our own problems and to focus on your great grace, on your great mission and the purpose for which you have called us. In Jesus' name, amen.